they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome to Bible with the Barbers. And um, glad you joined us here on this Tuesday. I know I wasn't here last week. I missed y'all. Thank you for joining us. I, I hope you enjoyed last week's show. I, I have a great respect for Father Murr. And, uh, He's a character. Yeah, he is. We and he, love him. And uh, so I was at a funeral. I was actually a, a friend of ours. Uh, well, her name was Susan Dugan. Her name is now Sister Immolata, Maria Immolata of the Lamb of God. Tell her, what her, her mother died. And her mother was 97 years old. Susan, we met through the MI, and Terry knew her longer than I did. She used to be a stand-up comic in, in um, Hollywood. Hollywood. So here's another another yeah. beautiful story of a, yeah. of a Hollywood actress who yep. uh, turned to the Lord and gave her life totally to the Lord. She's now a hermitess in the Explain United States. Explain what that is, because I think it's unusual. She, it is unusual. It's extremely unusual. She lives a life of solitude by herself. And praying for the church. Praying for the church, exactly. And, and she, goes, she goes to Mass, and she, you know, like that, she was, uh, the last four months, she was at home taking care of her mother while her mother was uh, coming to the end of her life, when her mother was in her death um, agony here, and, and Sister Immolata was able to come home and take care of her mom. But generally, she lives in a hermitage, and she prays, and she prays and sacrifices for the church, and it's a beautiful, beautiful life. And, um, you know, she doesn't live in community. It's not like the Carmelites are hermitesses, but they live in a community, and, they're, you know, you have the poor Clares, and you have um, some sisters that are the Dominican Sisters of Adoration, and they have their, their, they're cloistered, and they don't go out and do active work. They're not teachers. They're not nurses. They're not social workers. And they pray for the church, and they sacrifice for the church. And they, they dedicate their lives totally to Christ, and their focus is on Christ. But they're on Christ and praying for his church and all the members of the church. And so you write to them and ask them for prayers so that they, they know what's going on in the world because they're very much in touch with it. <laughs> but they're in touch with it from, and they see it with the eyes of Jesus Christ. And they bring it to him in prayer, and they ask him to pour out his grace and mercy upon the world. It's I beautiful. have to make a comment about that, too. She worked at St. Joseph Communications as a volunteer, replicating Bishop Sheen tapes way back in the 80s. Yeah. And we've got probably about 18 to 20 people that I know of who have become sisters or priests who have worked here at St. Joe Communications. And one of them is a Carthusian monk, Paul Kim. Paul Kim. Yeah. And unbelievable, now he's praying for us. And so one of the reasons I think that Virgin Most Powerful Radio is doing so well, and if you didn't hear the big news, we got five new stations up in the Scranton, Pennsylvania area and the northeast of um, the eastern part of Pennsylvania. And I think it's because people are praying for our mission. Absolutely. Because we have a tough thing to do, and that is to proclaim Jesus Christ and his teachings faithfully to the magisterium of the church. In season so, and out of season, yeah. whether convenient or inconvenient. And so when I think about all these young men and women who are now religious because Filton yeah. Sheen had an influence on them, it really does uh, blow me away after 40 years of doing what we do. Yeah. God has been so good to us. Yeah, he has. So let's move into the Bible now. So we're going to we're gonna talk you. here about today's gospel a yep. little bit, the gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the 20th week of ordinary time, and today's a feast day in the church. It's the feast of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Oh, what a great saint. He was a great saint, and he was, he was a very, um, you might say he was a salesman. Oh, a salesman for Christ, and he had a great power of persuasion. Oh, big and he was influential in persuading 
um, at least 30 members of his immediately immediate bloodline. Yes. Can you imagine? Uh, to enter the religious life. Unbelievable. <laughs> Become monks or sisters. So it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, very powerful preacher. And, and he had a great love for our Blessed Mother and for Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's, his, that's the feast day today. But the reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, 20th week in Ordinary Time, Tuesday. Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, I say to you, it will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For man, this is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him in reply, We have given up everything to follow you. What will be there? What will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, that you who have followed me in the new age, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of glory, will yourselves sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundred times more wow. and will inherit eternal life. Mm. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus in this gospel tells them it's going to be hard for the rich people to get into heaven. Now, remember, the apostles come from the Jewish background, mm. and, and it's kind of the health and wealth gospel. Yeah. If you believe in God and follow his laws, you're going to be blessed materially here on this earth. That was their mentality, right? That was their mentality, that people who do God's will are blessed materially with wealth. So the wealthy people are, those are God's people. Those are the people that God mm-hmm. really loves, you know. And the poor people, well, you know, they didn't do so well. They kind of messed up, so God didn't bless them so much. And Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not. As a matter of fact, he's saying it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Well, because in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, God has to be first in our life. Mm-hmm. We have to put him absolutely first. And oftentimes when we have great wealth, or even if we don't have great wealth, but we live in comfort, yeah, that's the, and, and life is easy for us, and we don't have to struggle so much, we become very attached to material things. Yeah. We become attached to our comfort and our ease, and it becomes very difficult for us to sacrifice and give up the things that we like. And that's what Jesus is saying. We need to give all these things up. And it's not, it's not whether or not you have riches. It's like, are you attached to them? When you see a poor person, are you, are you just condemning them and saying, that person is poor because they're lazy? All poor people are just lazy people. Or are you willing to say, you know what, Lord? You have allowed poor people in this world, and you've given me more than I need of this world's goods, and you put these other people there so that I can share with them what you've given to me. Everything that we have, is a gift from God and belongs actually to God and is supposed to be at the disposal of God's will and the building up of his kingdom. And it's the early church, remember, in the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, where nobody believed that anything that was theirs belonged just to them. Mm -hmm. They would give it to the apostles to distribute according to the needs of the people so that the poor were taken care of. And Jesus said that. You will always have the poor with you. Always have them. St. Bernard, the feast of today, came from a very, very wealthy family. And he gave up the opportunity to have all that wealth to serve Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. Yeah. So what a great model. And I would say this. I said it at the Terry and Jesse show 
But on the practical level, look at what happened oh, with people who come out of poverty and become wealthy in a sense that they got everything they need. Many of those things happen when people stop going to church at that point. Why? Rather than thanking God for these material blessings, yeah. they say, hey, I got money. I can buy anything I want right now. Right. It's a temptation is all I'm saying. It is a temptation. What happens oftentimes, too, is when we have plenty of material goods, we don't think we need God. Exactly. That's the bottom line. You know, it's interesting. The saints have said that poverty and sickness are gifts from God. Hey, tell us why they say that, because it's a, a, a sickness. Well, poverty and sickness are gifts from God, because one, because Jesus Christ came into this world to die mm -hmm. and to suffer and die. Now, Jesus didn't experience sickness like we do, but he did experience suffering. But he was poor. Jesus was the son of the village carpenter or the village, you know, general contractor, mm -hmm. the construction man. Mm -hmm. jo St. Joseph wasn't rich. He wasn't wealthy. Mm -hmm. Jesus came into a poor family, he was born in Bethlehem, didn't even have a place to, to be born. So he was born, you know, the stable. They had to go to the stable. And then he was exiled to Egypt because Herod sought his life. So they have to live in Egypt. You know, when you have to travel around like this, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of material, you know, Joseph had his hands to work with, and yes, he could get work and work, and so they had their necessities, but they didn't have extras. Yeah. So Jesus lived in poverty, and he didn't strive for wealth and riches. Yeah. And he told people, no, don't cling to your riches. You need to serve the poor and take care of them and give to the poor. And then and suffering is, is part of, it, it, it purifies us. Because of original sin, Suffering came into the world, but it was an intrusion. God didn't make suffering. He did, God did not make sin. He did not make suffering. He did not make death. But man chose to sin. He turned away from God, and he turned away from the original plan God had made. And so sin came into the world, and with it, suffering and death came into the world. But God renews and redeems. By Jesus Christ coming into this world to die, he redeems the meaning of the suffering and death so that now everything, all this suffering can, and even our joys, you know, our life isn't, yes, life is full of suffering and sorrow. You don't have to go looking for it. It's going to be there. And that doesn't mean that all of your life is suffering. There's lots of joys, our joys and our, our, our gladness, and that can all be offered to the Lord too, our triumphs, and but our defeats and our suffering. And the interesting thing about the suffering is that it has, now it doesn't necessarily, but it has the power to. It has the ability, the potential to free us from attachment to ourself and our own will, to free us from attachment to, to sin and the things of this world, and to make us look like Jesus Christ, Amen. to conform us more to him. So there's a, there's a great benefit yeah. in the suffering and in the illness and the sadness. And Our Lady of Fatima said that souls are going to hell because no one's willing to make sacrifices and praying for them. So, right. you know... We can affect the, the outcome of people's uh, salvation through our, our prayers and our suffering. So really, you know, fill up with this lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church, First Colossians. So this is a very biblical teaching. Yes, hey, yes. when we come back, we're going to get into the Acts of the Apostles, mm -hmm. the yeah. Bible with the barbers. And you know what, Mary Danielle, you have... A woman's conference coming up on the 7th of September. That's right. And I want to enjoy, have, ask you to join us by calling 877-526-2150 or go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and you can sign up there online. We'd love to have you come. We'll be back with much more with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
Hi, this is Barbara Nicolosi, and we're having a women's conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina on September 7th, 2019. This is going to be a great, great day for you to come and meet a bunch of new friends, wonderful Catholic women who want to deepen their Catholic faith and their understanding of themselves as women. You know, this era right now we're in, so much confusion. What is it to be a man? What is it to be a woman? You know, the Catholic Church has a lot to say about this, and we're going to hear about them. We're going to hear about John Paul II's letter on women that he wrote from Mary Danielle Barber. is going to talk about that. She's going to talk about Mary as a model for all of us. It's a topic that we can never reflect on too much. I'm going to talk about Teresa of Avila and the interior castle and how a mystical marriage is what all of us should be called to, or are called to as Catholics in our prayer lives, and especially as women in the church. Aileen Blakowski is going to talk about motherhood and homeschooling. And then Father, we have, uh, finally, we have Father Charles Murray. He's going to be the celebrant of the Eucharist. He's going to be here hearing confessions. It's going to be an amazing day. We're going to have an hour of adoration together. Time to pray, time to laugh, eat, reflect, uh, grow in our passion for our Catholic faith and our identity as Catholic women. You don't want to miss it. You want to come, you want to bring your friends, you want to bring your daughters, your nieces. That's really an affordable day. So go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and you can register for this conference or call 877-526-2151. Uh, The Women's Conference is going to be a great event for the Archdiocese of of Los Angeles area, Southern California Catholics. You don't want to miss it. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us. So, the last time I was here, two weeks ago, we were in chapters 13 and 14 of the Acts of the Apostles. That was Paul's first missionary journey, and he Uh did that with Barnabas. Uh And it's interesting. Remember, they were persecuted, and they were insisting that they're, they're preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, and that he came to save us from sin. Mm -hmm. So that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, but he he rose from the dead by his own power. He is God. And then he gives us the freedom to live without sin if we're willing to turn to him and ask for the grace we need. And, and, but we have to confess our sins and be sorry for our sins so that we can be forgiven for them and then ask God for the grace. And if we continue to confess our sins humbly before the Lord, he will give us the grace to overcome them. I just want to make a comment when you said about grace and about asking for forgiveness. Dietrich von Holfer, he made a comment saying that, and this is what I see today sometimes in the church even, cheap grace, he says, is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. See, you said repentance. Yeah, repentance. And he says, baptism without church discipline. Mm. He says, communion without confession. Wow. This is a Protestant. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Yeah. I, I, I just say that because 
Sometimes people want to say that you don't need to forgive because Jesus has already forgiven you. He's forgiven you. You need to ask for forgiveness and repent because the gospel is very clear. Repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah, the question is, you know, yes, Jesus Christ won. He paid the price for yes, our salvation. Yes, on that. The question is, are we willing to accept that salvation? And to accept that salvation means to give up our sins yeah. and, to, and to live a life right. the way that he told us to live it. A life of charity and yep. putting our putting God first and our neighbor second and putting ourselves right. in third place. That's right. So it's interesting that Paul and Barnabas, after making this missionary journey, and they had been persecuted, they'd been driven out of some places, they'd been stoned, they, you know, and they go back at the end of their missionary journey, they retrace their steps and go back to the very cities where they had been persecuted. Why? Because people in those cities had believed the gospel and they go back to strengthen the faith of the brethren. So they don't just abandon them. And even though it might mean further persecution and possible danger of death, they go back to the places where they planted the gospel in order to strengthen the faith of the followers. And we come to chapter 15. And in chapter 15 of the gospel, we have an interesting situation arise. Paul and Barnabas are down there in Antioch. And there are some men who come from Judea, and they are telling the, the Gentile converts that they have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, or they can't be saved. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, there's debate and dissension, and they're saying, no, that, that's not the case. Paul understood clearly that the gospel... Um, is the fulfillment of the old law and that there were things in the old law that were provisional and no longer apply and that we don't have to submit ourselves to them. So what happens is that Paul and Barnabas and some others are appointed to go up to Jerusalem and present this to the apostles in Jerusalem to say, okay, what's going on here? So they went up there and they go through Phoenicia and Samaria and they report about the conversion of the Gentiles and there's great rejoicing about all that God has done. And this is what we need to do. You know, when somebody converts, don't, don't look at them and say, oh, what was their motive? And what was, no, rejoice in God's grace and pray that, that they persevere in that. Any one of us could lose our faith at any minute. Remember that just because we receive Jesus Christ into our, our heart as our Lord and Savior and we're baptized doesn't mean we're going to persevere to the end. The grace of final perseverance is a grace that we have to ask for every day. And we need to ask for it. We need to ask the Lord for the grace that we will persevere to the end because we have to persevere through trials and darkness and aridity. You know, Paul and Barnabas were suffering. They had to walk. They had to face dangers on the road. They had to face dangers in the city. They had to face false brethren. They had to face all of these dangers for Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And they did it willingly. So that's what we want to pray. And we want to pray for the grace to be faithful to the end. Lord, that I will persevere to the end. Remember, Judas lived with Jesus for three years. And in the end, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then he despaired because he was angry because he, he thought that Jesus was just going to work another trick and get out of it. And he wasn't going to surrender himself to death. Judas was one of the zealots who was, you know, promoting the, the, um, violent insurrection against Rome. He would belong to that party. And, and so when Jesus didn't do that, Judas was very disappointed in him. And he says, well, fine, I'm going to make a buck off this guy. He was, Judas was a thief. He liked to help himself to the purse. And, and he sold him. And then Jesus didn't do things the way Judas expected. 
And this oftentimes happens in our own lives. You know, we expect God to do this, that, or the other thing, or to bless us in this way or that way, and then he doesn't. And we're like, forget it, God. I'm out of here. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) Who's in charge here? Am I God or is God God? And am I willing to submit myself to God's will or am I insisting that God has to do my will? We need to be real careful that we're not insisting on doing our own will. So the apostles don't insist, you know, Paul and Barnabas are, they're very convinced of what they're preaching and that the the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, but they're going to go up to the apostles and the elders and they're going to present this to them and see what the decision of the church is. All right. So there was great debate and they have the first council. You have the first meeting of the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem. And this isn't a local thing. This is for the entire church. What, what is the rule here? What does God want? And this is, remember, this isn't what do we want. They're asking the Lord, what do you want? Do we have to follow the law of Moses? Do the Gentile converts have to be circumcised and follow all the dietary laws of, that were given to us by Moses? Is that, you know, or, or were those provisional? And so what happens? Peter stands up among the brethren and he says, remember, in the early days, God made choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. I'm in Acts 15, verses um, 8 and 9 here. And he made no distinction between them and us, but cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you make trial of God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So it's by the grace of Jesus Christ, not by circumcision, that they're saved. Well, what is he saying here? And for the Jews, this is going to be kind of a shocker. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, all their, you know, they, they, God gave these laws to Moses. God told Moses, and it's true, but not everything in the old law was meant to be permanent. Some of it was provisional, and circumcision and the dietary laws were provisional things in the old law. And Peter understands this clearly also. He understands, no, we can't demand of the Gentiles that they be circumcised in order to be Christian. They have to believe in Jesus Christ. When Peter went to preach to Cornelius in his house, God gave Cornelius and his whole household the the grace of the Holy Spirit before Peter even baptized them. They received the fullness of the Holy Spirit without even being baptized. And Peter's like, whoa, God is showing me. Yes, the Gentiles are welcome into the church. And not only are they welcome, they don't have to be circumcised. Peter didn't demand that they be circumcised. So this was clear to him. So then the assembly was silent and they listened to Paul and Barnabas relate all the signs and wonders and everything that God had done among the Gentiles. And when they had finished speaking, um, James gets up and he's, you know, he has authority in the church. He's the Bishop of Jerusalem. And it's actually the Judaizers follow James and the Judaizers are um, of the Pharisee party. And the Pharisees weren't bad people in and of themselves. They were people who wanted to be true to the law of Moses and to true to the law of God. And they accepted more of the Old Testament 
than the Sadducees did. The Sadducees only accepted the Torah as being canonical, as being being inspired by God. Remember, the Jews didn't have agreement about the canon of Scripture. It wasn't the Jews who gave us the canon of Scripture, not even the canon of the Old Testament, because they were not in agreement. It was the church, the Catholic church, that gave us the canon of Scripture. So James gets up and he says, you know, um, Simon, he uses his, the, the name he had before Jesus changed his name to Peter. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. It's interesting that James says a people for his name. This harkens back to the Old Testament where God says that Israel is his people, the people for his name. And now James is saying, ah, now God has chosen a people for his name out of the Gentiles. So it's not our choice. It wasn't us. It was God himself. He's doing again what he did before. He's taking a people to himself to make them his own. And these are the Gentiles. <clears throat> and the words of the prophet are in agreement. And the words of the prophet are this. This is Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. And the rest of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who has made these things known from of old. So yeah, God is choosing out of the Gentiles a people for himself. And that means that these people are equal to the Jews and that God is opening up salvation to the entire world, which was his intention from the beginning. The Jews were supposed to bring the nations to God. And unfortunately, instead, oftentimes, when the Jews came among the nations, instead of bringing the nations to God, the Jews turned and worshiped the idols of the nations. But have things changed any? Don't we Christians do the same thing? We're supposed to bring the world to Christ. And instead, we turn to the world and try and compromise with the world to get along with the world. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be said to be afraid of certain groups of people. And we don't want to said to be being non-inclusive or judgmental. And so, oh, anything goes and God loves us all. And it's true. God loves us all, but he does not love sin and he will never love sin. And sin degrades the human person. And God does not love what sin does to the human person. God wants us all to live as his children in freedom. And we are his children if we live in freedom, if we live in his grace, if we keep his commandments. By the way, the Ten Commandments were not provisional in the old law, and that becomes clear here. There were things that were, the dietary laws, the circumcision, but not the Ten Commandments. And so James stands up and he says, okay, so the Gentiles have turned to God, but we should write to them to abstain from pollution of idols and from unchastity and from what is strangled, and from blood. So, after we come back, we're going to look at what James is saying here, and what it means, and what it doesn't mean. And we're going to go into this council, and its decision, and what it means. And how does that apply to us today? Thank you for joining us here. Don't go away. Get yourself some fresh coffee or tea, and we'll be back in just a few minutes, right after this break. Bye, Harvard.
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, on fire Catholic, and he promotes uh, the Terry and Jesse show and the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Wow. Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. This is Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you all for listening and joining us. So in James, excuse me, in Acts 15, um, 19, when James is, he concurs with, with Peter as to what the Lord and the Holy Spirit has inspired and that what Paul is preaching is correct, that we don't have to impose the law of circumcision and the Levitical law, dietary law, on the Gentiles. And yet he says, we should ask them to do four things. To abstain from pollution of idols, that's meat sacrificed idols, don't eat that, from unchastity, and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, in the light of Leviticus, what is he? Well, when you eat the meat of that that comes from a pagan sacrifice, the Jews would understand that what you're doing is you're concurring with that sacrifice, that somehow or other that that was a a true sacrifice to a true God. And they're saying, no, there's only one God and we we don't participate in sacrifice to false gods. So that was what they were saying. And it's, and then uh, the meat, the blood, and the and um, to abstain from blood. You see, in in the ancient times, it was believed that the the blood is the life. It has something to do with the life. And well, it is does have something to do with the life. We can't if someone just take all the blood out of our body, we die, right? But so the Jews believed that somehow that all life belonged to God. All life belonged to God. It was sacred. And it belonged to Him. So no one had a right to 
be eating blood because to do so, somehow you become guilty of the shedding of that blood. And you shouldn't be doing that. This is God's. It belongs to God. Um, What's interesting is the unchastity part, and that is irregular unions. And that's mentioned in Leviticus, but some of those things in Leviticus 18, 6 and following are still impediments to marriage. And if you, you can um, you know, read the church, the laws of marriage from the Catholic Church, we realize that those things in the Levitical law were not provisional. Those were from God, and it was very specific. So what James and Peter and Paul are doing here, they're asking the Gentile converts to have some consideration for the Jewish converts. The Jewish converts, to them, it would be so repulsive to eat something that had blood in it because for all their generations, they've been taught this is wrong and offensive to God. And then to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Corinthians, I could do this. I could eat the meat sacrificed to idols because I know the idol is nothing. It's not really God. But if it's going to cause my weaker brother to be scandalized, then I will not eat it. As a matter of fact, I will never eat meat again. So have consideration for the weakness of your weaker brother. So now it's not the whole law of Moses that they're imposing back, because I remember hearing that once in a, in, when I was in my studies. One of our professors says, so Peter stands up and he says, well, we shouldn't impose circumcision on these people and you know, we shouldn't impose on them a law that we nor our fathers could keep. And then James stands up and says, yes, that's right. We shouldn't do that, but let's do it anyway. Well, no, he doesn't. There are three things in that law that are disciplinary that could be changed, but we're asking you not to change them now out of consideration for the weakness of the consciences of the Jews who are coming into the Christ- Christianity. So out of consideration for their weakness, we're not going to do away with those three things. The, the eating of meat sacrificed to animals, the eating of blood and the eating of strangled animals. So it's not the whole Mosaic law that he's reimposing. It's three provisions. And the other provision about unchastity is part of the 10 commandments, the sixth and ninth commandment. And it's still part of the law of the church today. So that wasn't provisional. And it explains here, in, they come up with a text. So the council comes up with a text. And they ask Saul and Barnabas, are, and then Judas and Silas are asked to go with them. They're going to go down to Antioch, and they're going to deliver the decision of the church. And, and this is what the letter said. The brethren, both apostles and the elders, to the brethren who are Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons from us have troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us in assembly to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, 
that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood and from what is strangled, and from unchastity. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. And so this is the decree of the first council of the church, the council of Jerusalem. And what do we, what, 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 what do we see here? Well, the Gentiles might have appealed to the church to say, look, we're Gentiles. We don't have to follow any of the Old Testament, any of those laws in the Old Testament. And on the, on the flip side, the Jews and the Judaizers in particular are saying, well, you know, circumcision has been preached. Moses has been preached in all the synagogues and there are many Gentiles have heard, uh, you know, and said there are many Gentiles who become proselytes to Judaism. So um, we should impose this circumcision upon them. But what is the decision? The decision of the Holy Spirit and the apostles are going along with the Holy Spirit. They're not saying we came up with this on our own. Just like no author of scripture came up with what he wrote on his own. The authors of scripture were inspired by God. The Holy Spirit is the first author of scripture. And so the Holy Spirit has inspired the church. And so the teaching here in the Council of Jerusalem, in the commentary here in the Navarre Bible, it mentions that there's two parts to it. A dogmatic part and and a um, dogmatic and moral part, and the other was disciplinary, okay? So the dogmatic part speaks of imposing no burden other than what is essential, and therefore declares that the pagan converts are free of the obligation of circumcision and of the Mosaic law, but are subject to the gospel's perennial moral teaching on matters to do with chastity. And how do we know that the law of chastity you know, unlawful union? Well, because Jesus Christ reiterated it in the gospel. Remember, Moses allowed divorce, and Jesus said that was because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, that's not the way God made it. God made them male and female, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And what God has joined, no man can divide. So even though a court of law can say, well, you're not married anymore, that doesn't divide what God has joined. And remember, in the Catholic Church, a declaration of, an, of annulment is not a divorce. A declaration of annulment means a declaration of nullity, that there was no marriage to begin with, that there was some impediment in the beginning so that a marriage could not be contracted. Go to the Catechism of the Church and study the section on marriage. Find out what it takes to be married in the Catholic Church. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's profound. And it lifts us up. It gives us dignity. And it teaches us about the dignity of the human person. And it's for everyone. The teaching is for everyone to read and understand because marriage is the basic unit of society. And if we get that wrong, look at the mess we're in right now in the world because we got marriage wrong. You know, no fault divorce. And then... We don't have to have children. And then, oh, from there we go to what? Oh, well, anything goes. I can live with somebody without the, prof- the benefit of marriage. And then, oh, well, we don't have to have children in marriage. So then why can't two homosexuals get married? Well, there is no such thing as marriage to, for two homosexuals because of what marriage is. It's the union of a man and woman. And it's a permanent, indissoluble union that demands fidelity and is open always to life. And if we're not, if we don't take the whole thing, then we get it wrong and we get confused. 
So the first part is dogmatic and moral, and you can't change that. The second part of the decree here from the first council, the Council of Jerusalem, is disciplinary, all right? So we have to obey God's perennial moral teachings, but and that part is permanent. And as a matter of fact, that those some of those things in Leviticus are still part of the church's law on marriage. And it can't be changed. God's law cannot be changed. But the disciplinary part, and this is what the, the second part of the decree lays down rules of prudence which can change, which are temporary. Okay? So the Christian, the, the Gentile Christians, Christians of Gentile background, are asked to abstain out of charity toward Jewish Christians, out of consideration for their brothers. Charity toward my weaker brother. Even if it were lawful for me to do it, Paul says, I will not if it would cause my brother to sin. So yes, we need to think about how our actions affect other people. The gospel says so. You know, everything that's in the New Testament, this is God's word. He's trying to teach us something about ourselves and our relationship with our our brothers and sisters. So it asks the Christians of Gentile background to abstain out of charity toward Jewish Christians from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of animals killed by strangulation. The effect of the decree means that the disciplinary rules contained in it, although they derive from the Mosaic law, no longer oblige by virtue of that law, but rather by virtue of the authority of the church. So it's not because it's the Mosaic law. It's because in the authority of the church, in the judgment of the church, out of charity, this needs to be so for now because of charity that we owe to the Jewish converts. So for the time being, yes, we're going to follow this part of the law of Leviticus. Not the whole thing. James didn't give you the whole law of Leviticus. He didn't do that. What matters is not what Moses said but what Jesus Christ says through the church. So the council seems to maintain that the law is in force, writes St. John Chrysostom, because it selects various prescriptions from it, but in fact it suppresses it because it does not accept all its prescriptions. It has been spoken about, and we'll continue this after the break. Got that music going? Thank you for joining us at Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful. This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So before the break, I was trying to squeeze in this quote here from St. John Chrysostom, and it comes from his homily on the Acts of the Apostles. I guess it's homily 33. And the deal is what Chrysostom is saying here, okay, the council, the council of Jerusalem, seems to maintain the law in force, okay, the law of Leviticus. But because it selects various items from it, okay, but in fact it suppresses it because it does not accept all its prescriptions. So it had often spoken of these points. It sought to respect the law and yet establish these regulations as coming not from Moses but the apostles. So it respects the law of Moses because God had given that, but recognized that it was provisional. At the same time, the church is insisting that it's the Holy Spirit and the apostles who are now saying, no, it's no longer necessary to follow the law of Moses in all of its prescriptions. The Ten Commandments, yes, but not not all of the provisional things in the Levitical law. And what so what does it rely on? It relies on the authority of the church. And who establishes the authority of the church? Jesus Christ said to Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the authority of the church is established by Jesus Christ. It's Christ who set up Peter as the head of the church. And, the, and he gave the priesthood. And he gives the fullness of the priesthood to the bishops, and then the the bishops ordain priests to help them. And that's one of the things that that went on, you know, when Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey. In every town, they're they're appointing elders in the towns, and they're basically they're ordaining priests to carry on the priestly ministry. Yeah, there's a general priesthood of the laity that we're we all we all in some manner share in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly mission of Christ. And we're, we all have our call to um, give glory to God's name and to establish his kingdom here on this earth and to do his will. But not all of us can be ordained ministers. And it's not about power. It's about service. Every priest is ordained to offer sacrifice. And the sacrifice, there's only one high priest. There's only one sacrifice. The sacrifice, the high priest is Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice is his paschal ministry, mystery, his offering of himself to his father in his paschal mystery. And so this is what the, the church has the authority from Jesus Christ. And that was believed for 1,500 years. Now, the first major challenge to the authority of the church was in, with the East, and West, the East and West split in the 10 hundreds where the, the Eastern Church split away and said, no, we're not going to be subject to Rome anymore. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding there that caused that, and that's a tragic split in the church. And then you have you know, a further split 500 years later that would cause even more confusion and tragedy. 
but the authority was established by Christ and it still remains. And I had this, when I was in college, I had an experience. I had a class, a church history class. It was supposed to be church history. But the professor opened the semester with this opening statement. I'm not denying infallibility, but. And he took some exception to the church defining infallibility when she did. And for two weeks, you know, every class. Now, it was just a Tuesday, Thursday class. It was only twice a week. It wasn't every day. This is college. But I had to hear this. And, And within two weeks, I found my whole interior attitude changing. And I was like, I was becoming extremely cynical. And I'm thinking, what's going on inside of me? Something's happening. And I remember going to the chapel and there was this big, huge, larger than life. I mean, literally larger than life crucifix. And I looked at our Lord and I said, Jesus, it was your blood that was shed, not mine. You paid the price for me and you're losing me. And I don't even know why. I don't want to give up my faith, but I know that I'm losing touch with what all it means to be Christian because I'm not able to be even charitable and I'm getting really cynical. And this is not your attitude. This isn't right. And I said, what are you going to do about it? Well, a couple of nights later, I was walking back from class with, with Father Fessio, the founder of Ignatius Press. He was one of my professors. This was at USF in San Francisco. And I made a really snide remark. I don't remember what I said, but I know it was a snide, cynical remark about the church defining infallibility when she did. And Father Fessio said, oh, yes, Danelle. That's my middle name, by the way. Oh, yes, Danelle. And Jesus Christ wasn't divine until the fourth century. I kid you not, the lights came back on instantaneously. And I understood completely the church didn't define infallibility and therefore it became true. The church defined infallibility because it was true and it only became necessary in the historical circumstances in which she was living to define it dogmatically. Jesus Christ wasn't defined as being divine until the fourth century. Why? Because for the previous three centuries, it had been believed. Everybody believed it. It wasn't until the Arian heresy when not only the divinity of Christ was rejected, but also his humanity. And it became necessary to define who is the person and what is the nature. So you have one divine person, the second person of the blessed Trinity, who is co-eternal with the father from all eternity, becoming man. So he has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, and he unites those two natures in one divine person. He's one person, but he is truly God and truly man. And it didn't become necessary until the Arian heresy. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, the church doesn't define things because she's just all sitting around, oh, the bishops and the the Pope, they have nothing to do. They're bored. They have to define some. No, she defines things when they become absolutely necessary for the faith of the people. Over 70% of the bishops had embraced the heresy of Arianism, rejecting both the humanity of Christ and his divinity. Hello, it was necessary. Wake up, is this microphone on? Yeah, it became necessary for the church to define it. And I understood that. And then the next day in a class for another class that I was taking, it was called Church and Sacraments. Father Francis King, God have mercy on his soul. He's deceased now, he's passed on. Father King was a believing Jesuit, and he said, um, he had us read this, and in this, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially what the author said was, if you accept the notion of the church as the mystical body of Christ, and that's biblical, the church is the mystical body of Christ, then it follows that the visible structure of the church, that is, Pope, bishops, priests, 
is divinely willed. That doesn't mean the current um, governance of the Vatican is necessarily divinely willed. It means that, that there is a pope, one head of the church on earth, one visible head, that the bishops share in that office to teach, govern, and sanctify the church, and that priests assist the bishops in doing that. But their whole office is an office of service to offer sacrifice. The priest is supposed to be one with Christ crucified. He's supposed to be offering himself with Jesus Christ on the cross, as we all are, but in a specific way, in a unique identification. The priest has this. And so it's not about power. It's about service. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the church understood this. And she also understood that there were things in the old law that were provisional. And that, yes, it is God's word in the Old Testament, but nonetheless, it wasn't meant to apply forever. But the Ten Commandments are not provisional. Those are part of the perennial teachings of God. It's like the teaching on marriage. In the beginning, God made them male and female, and what God has joined together, the man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, because what God has joined, man shall not divide. And Jesus reiterates that teaching. In the meantime, in the old law under Moses, because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses had allowed divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. So we need the church. We need the church for guidance. And even Paul, you know, he received his gospel directly from Jesus Christ. He says that he did not get it from any man. So what he preaches, he received after his conversion and that time in, um, after his conversion, and he spends a little time there in Damascus, and then he goes off to the desert of Arabia. And it has always been church tradition that he spent three years in the desert in solitude praying. And in that time, God gave, Jesus Christ came and revealed him the gospel the way he had revealed it to his apostles. But nonetheless, Paul goes up and he, after 14 years, he goes up to meet with Peter and lays before Peter and the other apostles the gospel as he had preached it to make sure that he hadn't run the course in vain, that he hadn't been deceived. So if you think you're having a private revelation, if you think God's speaking to you and giving you a message that you're supposed to give to someone, you need to take it and submit it to the church. And believe me, nothing is gained by disobedience. If the church says no, then let it go. The church has authority over us, and we need to obey the church. And that's real hard sometimes. And there are men who have suffered. And it's, it's interesting, there's a saying, no saint. There is no saint who hasn't suffered at the hands of the church. And that's okay. <laughs> Joan of Arc was put to death, not at the hands of the magisterial church, but at the hands of a local church, the church of some of the men, members of the Church of England and France who wanted France to be under the, the dominion of, of England and Jesus didn't want it. So he'd raised up Joan of Arc to, to make sure that the, the king of France was crowned king of France and that England didn't rule over. And if you want to know why it was so important to him, look up the dates. Why was that so important to, to God that France didn't come under the dominion of England in the 1400s? Spoiler alert there. So, The apostles send this letter. It's emphasizing the need for the church's authority. But that authority comes from God. And it's not the church that they just sat around twiddling their thumbs and what can we do next? And what's the next thing we can No, it is the decision of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to go along with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So then 
they, this is brought back and they give this decree and the Gentiles rejoice and everyone is accepting what the church teaches. Both the Gentiles and the Jews, there's been compromise on both sides. People, the Jews have to give up circumcision and insisting on it. They have to give up a lot of the dietary laws. And the Gentiles are asked to do out of charity temporarily to abstain from certain things that would be lawful, but if you if they do them, it's going to cause trouble for their their Jewish brethren, their Jewish Christian brethren. So we have consideration for the weakness of our weaker brothers. And at the end of chapter 15, we have that split between Paul and Barnabas. Saints don't always agree on everything. Paul wants to go back and revisit all the cities where they had preached the gospel, and he invites Barnabas to go with him, and Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark with us. Paul's like, Barnabas, he didn't stick with us last time. I don't think he's going to stick with us this time. And they decide, you know, Barnabas, no, I'm going to take him. And so Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark. And Silas goes with Paul. And John Mark goes with Barnabas. They're later reconciled. But saints don't always agree on everything. But as long as we agree on the majors, we believe in Jesus Christ and his gospel. But thank you for joining us at Bible with the Barbers. Please call and sign up for that women's conference. We want you all to come. Find out what is our vocation and dignity as women. How are we to influence the church and to grow in the likeness of Christ? If you haven't made a donation recently, or even if you have, thank you for your donations. But those of you who would like to make a donation, 877-526-2151. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.